Well, indeed, good morning and welcome to Championship Sunday. Some of you have your team gear on. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so we got some Hawk fans. We got some Packer fans. We got Colts. We got Colts fans, and there is a Patriot fan in the sound booth, a couple of them, and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's why we put them there. <laughs> big game day, but I tell you what, this is big game day in here, and we're going to be talking about it in a second. We're going to jump into a new series. But um, coming into this morning, I felt that we just needed to have a moment for family prayer. We had a prayer meeting here uh, Friday night, and uh, some of you came, which very grateful for that. We're uh, trying to undergird this year, especially as a year of outreach with prayer. And uh, so thanks for doing that. We'll probably have some of those periodically together as a church family on a different night of the week. Uh, I mean, on a weeknight or something. Uh, Also putting together an intercessory prayer team. Those of you who would be interested, just coming together and praying for the needs of the church family, for praying for our church, praying for outreach, praying for this community. Um, uh, On the back seat, the connection cards that Jeremy just had you point to, if you'd like to be a part of that prayer team, just put prayer team on that. We're collecting those. We'll be putting together sort of, you know, a a little database there. But one of the initiatives we took on Friday night was just to say, okay, you can't program prayer, all right? If you program prayer, uh, it just doesn't work. Yet at the same time, you just can't do the pep rally session and say, hey, pray, you know? So you have to sort of put a little bit of structure in the prayer somehow. And so what we've decided, at least for now, is that at 9.30 every Sunday morning to meet back at the cross. used to have the cross up there. We moved for Christmas decorations. I sort of like it back there. It's inspiring to me as I speak. But uh, it's a good place to meet and gather to be able to pray. And we always give the opportunity after service if you want to have prayer for a particular need to meet back by the cross, someone will pray for you. But we'd like to do it pre-service and just pray for the church service, pray for the community, maybe some other kinds of needs that are in different ministries. So if you'd like to be a part of the intercessory prayer team, note that on your card, just say prayer team. And whether you mark that or not, it's like not some club here, you have the opportunity, everyone does, to come early back at the cross at 930 and we're just going to pray. All right? Now, sometimes the worship band's trying to work out some kinks or whatever, and they might be playing or whatever, but that's fine. But usually they're done, and we just have some sacred moments there for about 20 minutes here in the back corner. Got it? Now, I say that because this has been an extraordinary week for me, at least. I don't think I've experienced it uh, as such in the life of this body, where there's different prayer needs that have emerged. Many physical needs. Unexpected ER visits. Unexpected words from doctors saying we need to test this a little bit more or we're concerned that there is going to need to be a surgery. I prayed with someone before service about a surgery they're going to have on Wednesday and we're praying with someone after service concerning you know, a medical issue going on. So there's these physical issues going on, but I'm also realizing that there's several other family issues that are going on as well. So we would be amiss as we gather as a church family to not go before the Lord in prayer. I'm just going to give you the opportunity, if you carry a prayer need specifically about yourself this morning or maybe an extended family member, if you would just stand acknowledging that before the Lord and uh, we will just corporately go before the Lord together. Just stand where you are. Yeah.
great. You never know what's going on in the lives of people around us, right? And um, so with these standing, um, I just want to invite us to pray together. And maybe there's somebody standing close to you. You can just remember them in particular. Lord, we do exalt you. For you, O Lord, are high above all the heavens. You are greater than any other man-made God because you are the only God. And you have given us the authority and the opportunity to come directly into your throne room, to your boardroom, and to intercede and pray one for another for the governing decisions of the universe, for needs that are immediately around us. And so, Lord, we do not take a moment such as this lightly. You say we have not because we ask not. We ask amiss. You tell us to come together and to offer our prayers. And so, Lord, in obedience to you and the opportunity you've given us, we come to pray for the needs of this church family. Lord, needs represented by the lives that are standing here. Lord, we want to begin by just just praying your protection over the physical lives and the physical needs that are represented here, even some in hospitals this very moment. Lord, by name, by situation, you know it. We know several ones of those, and we would just lift them to you, Lord. May you intervene, and Lord, may your healing come about, and may your health be our portion in each of these situations. Lord, every breath that we have is from you, and so we just acknowledge before you our need as a people, our need for physical healing. Lord, one of your names is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And so, Jehovah Rapha, we pray to you. And we offer this prayer in faith to make the sick person well. Whether standing here this morning, Lord, or in our hearts and minds as extended family, intervene. Lord Jesus, there are emotional issues that are represented. Challenges, maybe someone's just gotten sort of hit right in the face this week. And maybe it was hard for them even to drag themselves into this room this morning because of the depression and the unsettledness in their spirit. Lord, we come against the adversary and all of his host who would seek to wreak havoc in the lives of God's people. And you have no rights whatsoever for the work of the cross is a finished work. And by his shed blood we are redeemed. And he can pick us up out of a miry pit of depression or whatever it may be and set us on solid ground and so lord we pray for those individuals and maybe it's not even the issue of depression maybe it's just overwhelmed with work schedules other responsibilities with family lord intervene and give the sustaining strength that only your holy spirit can we ask this lord that you would sustain us not only physically but also emotionally and lord then critically of course is the spiritual need of our lives. And many times these are not separated categories, Lord, because the spiritual aspect of our life is all-encompassing and overall. But, Lord, we just pray for the salvations of those who we carry burdens for in our lives. For, Lord, we know that only through a changed heart will some situation see change. And so, Lord, we pray for the intervention of your salvation in the hearts and lives of loved ones. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would take our life as spiritual beings and give us a deepening hunger to know you. And that 2015 would be a year of spiritual growth, 
because we've prioritized cultivating our relationship with you. So, Lord, on these various fronts and many others and and the community at large and the other churches that are faithfully ministering in this valley, Lord, we just seek you that your will would be done here in the Temecula Valley, here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, may your name be glorified in all things. God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Have you ever had a situation where you walk into a room and it's a social activity, it's a social environment room, and you feel awkward in that social environment? In other words, there's some people, a few maybe you know, a few you don't, but something's going on, you're supposed to be there, and you just feel lonely in the midst of a lot of people. I think it's sort of a common human experience. I actually had a couple social gatherings in the last 10 days that I was a part of. The, the one was really quite easy. Uh, it was a uh, graduation party for my son from high school back in the Midwest, and we were there. And I mentioned it last week, I think. But we had like, I don't know, 200-some people that came over the course of three and a half hours. And just, it was just like a blitz, one person to the next, hanging around, talking with one another, greeting one another. It, I mean, we were recapturing memories because we'd done life together. We had done ministry together. Together. They were excited for the transitions in our life, so on and so forth. But as I was sort of making my way through the crowd, I saw out of the corner of my eye a couple times people that had come that maybe didn't know some of the other people at large. They'd sort of been a one-off relationship, and they felt a little awkward in the room. And so they were just sort of standing by themselves. And I wanted to do my best to try to make my way over to them and greet them and make them feel at home. The other one was just Tuesday, and Jeremy and I and uh, some of the pastors in the South Pacific uh, area of this for Alliance Pastors, we had a meeting. In fact, uh, the uh, clip you saw there from Sean Kennedy, who's speaking at our men's retreat, came from uh, this environment. It was a Tuesday lunch we had at the Spaghetti Factory down in San Marcos. And, um, you know, even, even, even though I've been here for a while, there's still that awkwardness of I walk into a room, and I knew people were coming in, and I knew a couple, three of the pastors, but I'm like, okay, what's my place? And and should I go greet somebody? And I wasn't feeling the best. It's sort of been a lot of stressful time just getting transitioned back in the saddle. And I'm like, I think I'll just be fine over here in the corner, right, God? But that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be friendly and interact, right? And I knew that if I was friendly and I interacted, I'd probably get to know some people and interact with some people that maybe I'd build relationships with. Sure enough, I tried to figure out maybe where I would be seated around several of the tables there. And I sat across from a young gentleman uh, that ended up actually sharing a little bit of his testimony later on in our meeting. And uh, he's brand new to the area. And I can identify with that. Two weeks. He is starting an Alliance Church in Ocean Beach. And uh, he shared his story about how God transformed his life from uh, drugs and alcohol, and he was in prison, and he came to know Christ. People in Alliance Church had been praying for him, and uh, he actually had somebody who'd been a Muslim who'd come to know Christ in the prison that discipled him. I mean, it was just a powerful story. I'm pretty excited about what he's going to be doing down in Ocean Beach and praying for him. And, and so we exchanged cards, that kind of deal, and, and he hit me up to be Facebook friends, and we're Facebook friends, all right? So we're good. His name's Mark Pryor, and we're, we're, we're looking forward to a little bit of uh, encouragement to a new pastor in Southern California. But I tell you what, when you walk into those rooms, first of all, you're, you're like, really? Am I fitting in? Do I, do I need to make interactions or not? Well, this series that we're starting today is a series entitled Just Walk Across the Room. The series comes from 
a pastor author by the name of Bill Hybels, who a few years ago wrote a book called Just Walk Across the Room. And I remember when I first touched base with that book and even some of the thoughts of it, the phrase just stuck with me. And I hope that it will stick with you as we spend a few weeks focused on what it means to take simple steps to be able to see somebody's life changed. Do you know, on average, you take about 10,000 steps a day from sunrise to sunset. You accumulate 115,000 miles in your lifetime of walking. That means you could walk around this globe four times or more your whole life. Could it be that one of those simple steps that you walk in your life, even this week, could change the trajectory of someone's life, even like what I heard about on Tuesday from this New Alliance pastor? For you see, it's that engagement that God wants to work and use in our life. And Bill Hybels, it's interesting if you were to pick up and read his book. His his opening story talks about a gentleman that he met at one such social gathering. He was sitting around a table, different people, different demographics, ethnicities, ages. It was a unique environment. He didn't know anyone there necessarily. And, and across the table, they went around and said their names. But halfway through the time that was going on in the program, the guy across from the table, and he was a tall African-American guy, sort of a linebacker kind of build. And when he introduced himself, it was clearly a Muslim name. And, and this uh, Muslim-named individual who he never really met looked at him, and he said, I love your books. And Heibel says he was like, he looked over his shoulder seeing if he was looking, you know, there's real some bona fide author around or whatever. And he did not expect that to come out of this gentleman. And he says, we'll talk later. Well, he caught up conversation with this man afterwards, and this man shared his story. He said he was in one of those social environments, like we just described. He says his profession... uh, said that he had to go to a lot of cocktail parties and build business contacts. And and here he was in his profession in the Deep South. And being of his uh, faith background, that sort of makes some complications and some other things. And he said, you know, he would go dutifully to these business meetings, these cocktail parties. He would get a drink. He would get some food in one hand. And, uh, you know, he'd try to make a little connection here or there. But inevitably, he would find himself leaning up against the wall, backed into a corner, as people had sort of all pocketed up and they were chit-chatting and talking about their lives. Have you been there? You ever been leaning against the wall in a corner? And he said he would stay maybe just long enough where there was etiquette. It was okay for him to slip out and he'd leave. And he said, I'd do that time and again. He says, I was at one such cocktail party and I was leaning up against the wall or standing by himself. And he was observing a group of people over here chatting away. And they were talking about everything, you know, and her son. And they were of similar mind and similar heart. And he noticed there was an individual that was in the group uh, that he had eyed. and, And all of a sudden this individual looked over at him. And he not only looked over at him, but he dismissed himself from that conversation. And he took steps across the room, placed his hand out, and said, Hi, my name's so-and-so. Your name is? And he was just sort of dumbfounded that he sought him out and left his conversation to people to go talk to, you know, himself standing over here. And he says, you know, we engaged and, you know, we, we shared about, you know, our business. We shared about our family some. We talked sports a little bit, talked some other kinds of things. And then inevitably the conversation got around to faith issues. And the guy said, you know, he's like, oh, no, here we go. Here we go, this is probably the end of the conversation, or this is going to be like really be awkward. And um, 
I shared with him, the gentleman said, that I was a Muslim. To which this gentleman, he says, well, you know, he says, hey, he says, I'm a Christ follower. But, you know, to be honest, I don't know much about Islam. And so would you mind being able to, like, give me the cleft notes of it sometime? Let me read for you exactly how it's worded and how it plays its way out. The next time we met, whatever doubts I had about him truly wanting to hear my beliefs were quickly dispelled. They ended up meeting for breakfast. I would be suspicious if a Christ follower said that. He said he really sought to understand my life and faith. We began meeting almost weekly, and each time I sat across from him, I was stunned by what an engaged and compassionate listener he was. One week, I even took the opportunity to ask him about his beliefs. I had been a Christian as a kid, but had left God, left the faith, left all, because the family, the church my family attended was so racially prejudiced. I wanted no part of that Christianity. When the tables turned and I was on the receiving end of his faith story, he patiently described why he'd given his whole life to this person named Jesus Christ. I couldn't believe how easily the conversations evolved and how respectfully and sensitively he conveyed his love for God. Despite our deep-seated religious differences, we were becoming fast friends. I went on this, it went on this way for some time as we'd meet to hash through nuances of our faith experience. Sometimes he would ask for a couple of days to find answers to my questions. Other times he knew exactly where I was struggling and seemed to have the perfect words to untangle my confusion. There finally came a day, I remember, being home alone when this happened, that I felt totally compelled to pray to God. I kneeled beside my bed, told God everything I was feeling, and in the end gave my life to Jesus Christ. In the space of about a week, that single decision changed everything in my life. Every single thing. And he went on to talk about how he got involved in the church and how things were changing in his life and in his family. And when Bill Hybels heard this story from the gentleman who had been across the table, he was so struck by it. And trust me, Bill Hybels, he leads a large church. He's heard a lot of faith stories. He says he was so struck by that particular story that he had to dwell on it, reflect about it, and he ended up writing a book on it. He says because his question was this, what if, what if the guy who was in this group, in this, I like, it's called circle of comfort, chose not to take those steps and walk across the room and put himself in not a circle of comfort, but in a zone of the unknown. You hear what I'm saying? It's scary. But that gentleman did that. And that Muslim man came to place his faith in Christ. And the trajectory of not only his life, but generations, countless times, changed forever because someone chose to take steps across the room. Our challenge here in these weeks is not to give some serious charge of marching orders to us as a church that you're going to have to live by. My challenge is for all of us, beginning with me, to say, God, could you use my life to change the trajectory of some sin-scarred, lost 
misdirected outside of a relationship with God person? Could you really do that? And could I just be merely sensitive to what you're doing in the environment of whether it's a room or out in an open commons area or in a work environment? Just, just always be in tune with what you're trying to do and be used by you. Because I'll tell you this, if God takes your life, and some of you have experienced if God takes your life and takes you out of the circle of comfort and moves you across a room or across the street or across a restaurant, you know, or across a, a recreational field, whatever it may be, and puts you in a, a zone of the unknown and uses a relationship that's built from there into the future to change somebody's life, if that starts to happen in your life, friends, you will get tremendously excited and find fulfillment you've never found before. Because of this, God made you as a person to be a people person, even if you don't think you're all gregarious and outgoing. You are relational. You are relational. And you can pursue an awful lot of things in life, but nothing beats seeing your life impact people. And that's my prayer for this year is that we just all resensitize ourselves to what God's doing and allow Him to use our lives to impact people. You see, you're going to be pursuing something this year, right? It's true of all of our lives. You're going to be pursuing, you know, trying to, you know, maybe knock out some particular pleasures that you always sort of wanted to do or experiences you wanted to go on. You can, you, you can pursue pleasure in your life. You can, you can sue uh, prosperity in your life, you know, building a lot of, Equity here or there, making good investments, working harder, working a second job. You can accumulate wealth and try to, try to go the prosperity route. You can also try to acclimate more power in your life. Whatever P word you want to grab a hold of. Pleasure. Prosperity. Power. Popularity. Nothing beats devoting your life to be used to reach people. But if we were all honest in this room, that whole zone of the unknown is sort of a scary place to be. And we have to acknowledge that uh, we're all in this together and encourage one another because left to ourselves, we not only will just sort of hang up against the wall or stay in our own little cliques, we will never have the interaction that so brings this about. You know, we walked through the Christmas series talking about the gift of grace. That was purposeful because I wanted to see God's grace work in our lives. But it was purposeful also for this. I want us to take what we talked about with the whole understanding of God's gift of grace and pour it into an understanding that the single greatest gift you can give somebody else is this. The single greatest gift Sum it up this way. A Christ follower can give to people around them is to introduce them to the resurrected Jesus. The God who created them loves them and has a purpose for their life. This is what evangelism is constantly watching for ways to give the gift of Christ and his grace to someone living indifferent or far from God. Many of you, if you cross that line of faith here this morning, that gift of God's grace, his life, an introduction to the resurrected Jesus has become a relationship you carry with you every day. 
why when we pray, like we just corporately prayed, we know we're just not praying to these ceiling tiles. We are really praying to someone who rose from the grave, sent his spirit, and he has the power and the ability to, to make things happen and change for his glory on our behalf. You know what it's like to have that gift. But do the people around you or the people that maybe that are in your peripheral vision that you've not even dialed into, could it be that you are God's instrument for that single greatest gift to be offered to them? Oh, let me stay in my circle of comfort. I don't want to go into the zone of the unknown. Friends, the zone of the unknown has experiences and will light you up in ways you can't find anywhere else. So, look, be willing to enter the zone of the unknown. Listen, catch the promptings of the Spirit and leave. Step out of your circle of comfort. One of the reasons I so enjoyed when I first came across this series title was to capture some of the other testimonies of Bill Hybels in his life as he led before his congregation. We would go to a lot of church conferences with him. Catch this story of him stepping out of his own circle of comfort into the zone of the unknown. A lot of people I talk to get all freaked out when they hear the word evangelism. They think they have to master this massive amount of apologetic information. They think they have to have a different personality than God gave them. They think that uh, it's just some formidable challenge that they could never rise to. And so often I find that it's the, the short rather accessible little steps or walks or deeds that you do it's not giving long speeches it's mostly about friendship it's not backing someone into a corner it's just kind of pointing to Christ in ways that are natural for you and I think if more people would do just the small thing that they can do take a walk here stretch out an arm here say a word here live your faith every day in a humble and kind of genuine way, I think a lot of people would find that they would be uh, touching a lot more lives than they think. I remember when our son Todd wanted to play soccer and we signed him up for a Park District Soccer League and then we went to his first practice. I was anxious to see what kind of coach he would have. And the minute I met Brian, I could tell Todd was gonna have a ball on this team. My oldest son, uh, Jason, at five years old, uh, decided he was uh, he wanted to play soccer. At that point, I decided to start coaching soccer, and uh, and Bill's son, uh, Todd, ended up on my team, and that's how the relationship started. Uh, Brian was a, an area business guy. He ran an excavation company, and uh, filled with energy. Loved soccer. Uh, loved to train and inspire young guys. And I knew Todd was in for quite a ride uh, if he was going to play for Brian. you got to make uh, practice interesting. 
it's something that uh, could be monotonous if uh, you don't do the things right. So we'd have uh, we'd intermingle games with the practices. Well, I did what other soccer parents do when their kids are out playing soccer. Uh, Lynn and I and Shauna would stand on the sidelines and cheer on uh, Todd and the, his teammates. And there were other Willow Creek parents whose children were playing in that same league. And so it became very comfortable for us to just stand with other Willow Creekers. And we discussed things that were going on in the church and in our relationships while our kids were playing soccer. And then one day when the game ended, uh, I was going to turn and walk with this group of Creekers back to our cars. And I had just this kind of prompting from the Holy Spirit uh, as I saw Brian out in the distance picking up soccer balls and putting cones and equipment away all by himself, uh, the prompting I got was, uh, go out and help that guy. Walk out to the center of the soccer field and offer to help him, shake his hand. Maybe you could get to know him a little bit. And I remember there was just a moment where I had to make a decision if I was going to stay in that little comfortable group and walk back to the cars with the other church people or kind of venture out and pay attention to that prompting that I figured was from God. When I first met Bill, our, uh, our relationship was kind of a surface uh, relationship where we'd talk about the boys and the games and uh, how the team was doing. After that, uh, it would be quite common for me to help him pick up balls after practice or after a game and we got just a little friendship started and one day because we had a holiday service coming up at Willow I thought well why not just take a shot and kind of uh, subtly invited me to Willow which at that point in my life uh, I wasn't really interested in Brian gave me a very clear-cut no when I invited him to church uh, it, it wasn't disrespectful or unkind but it was direct and unequivocating no I'm not interested in that it, you don't need to bring it up a second or a third time was kind of the indication he gave to me uh, we can be friends on the soccer field don't drag God or church into it and I thought I'm gonna have to be a little careful there, there's something going on here that I don't know about but I have to respect his sensitivity to my asking him questions about church. Up till about 18, till I went away to college, I, I was a, a tender of a church and an avid reader of the Bible. I kind of fell away and it didn't, uh, it didn't seem to matter anymore. So that's why my interest wasn't there. I think if I would have brought the subject up again to Brian, if I would have maybe come on too strong or continually repeated my invitation for him to come to church, I think it would have created a chasm and probably put our friendship at risk. It just wasn't the right thing to do. When Bill's son uh, Todd left the program, uh, my relationship with Bill kind of uh, was sidelined temporarily. At that point uh, in my life, about three years later, my marriage was kind of on the rocks. I had made an investment in uh, some uh, a business that. Uh, uh, totally demolished me financially. When my assistant, Gene, told me that Brian Anderson was trying to get in touch with me, I remember not even remembering exactly who that was. And I thought for a moment, wait a minute, the only Brian Anderson I even recollect 
was, I believe, the, the man who used to coach Todd in soccer. And I thought, he coached my son for three years, and he's only asking for a conversation for me. The least I can do to honor what he did for my son was to agree to meet with him. So I said, come on over and let's meet. At my low point when I uh, was going through the uh, potential divorce and uh, potential bankruptcy, I uh, kind of sat down by myself and said, who do I have to turn to on this? I knew my family wasn't a Christian family, so I really didn't have anybody to turn to, and I wanted to go to an outsider, somebody who uh, had a, uh, a view of what was uh, of life other than what I had. And that's the reason I turned to uh, Bill. About five minutes into the conversation with Brian, he just unloaded about what was happening in his life, and it was not pretty. Uh, he had serious marital issues going on, strain in the family. And I remember looking across my desk thinking, this is a guy in deep, deep trouble. And then he got to that point and he said, what do you think I should do? Um, I, I'm at the end of my rope. What should I do? And that's when I got another prompting from the Spirit. That, you know, you can go two ways in a moment like that. You can sympathize and empathize and and say what a terrible situation and let's pray and and I'll try to wrap my arms around you and encourage you somehow and that's certainly a, a valid approach to take in certain circumstances but there's another maybe higher risk approach and I am uh, very careful whenever I use it I want to make sure that God's guiding me in this but I felt God was and I said Brian I think this trouble is all of your making he, he came straight on and told me the truth, in which I think that's one thing I was looking for. Sizing up the kind of guy he was, he's a tough guy. He's from the south side of Chicago, and I thought he might need kind of that straight shot of truth right between the eyes. If I would have gone to anybody else, they would have sympathized with me and said, here, but he told me straight face, you, you, you made a mistake in the way you were going in life. He says you were looking at the world and not at God. I could tell that my response uh, began a kind of breaking process in him. He sat there quietly. He could have gotten up and stormed out, uh, but he just let it soak in. And I think we met three times. We kind of followed up on it a few times. And then after that, he just sort of faded from the scene. I didn't know if he was just going to go back and jump into the same kind of life that he was in or if he was going to try to maybe take an, a new approach. I just didn't know and lost track of him for many, many months after that. Well, it wasn't an uh, overnight process by any means. The 180 that I, that I took was a process that uh, took probably a, a good year to, uh, to go through. I. Um, went home one night and I was reading the Bible and I said I said it's, it's time for me to make the uh, the move I mean uh, totally commit myself to Christ and uh, be who uh, who I should be and who the Lord wanted me to be I knew at that moment uh, my life would change forever yeah, the new Brian it's just unbelievable I mean it, when you knew the old one and now you see the new one my life has gone through an unbelievable change. I, have, uh, I met a woman uh, around five years ago who I eventually brought to Christ. Went through the whole uh, marriage ministry program. 
both my wife and I are involved in the marriage ministry right now. That's how much we liked it, and that's how much it did for us. They're helping other couples um, build Christ-centered marriages, and it just blows my mind again that Brian Anderson would be involved in something like that. And then more recently, he's developed a heart for the under-resourced. I'm in a construction business, and we do a, a lot of work in the inner city, and God's been prompting me to start building houses for the under-resourced. He could be making a lot more money doing other kinds of projects. I never get tired of watching God transform a human life. For a long time in my life, I used to say, hey, God, thank you for leading me to Bill and bringing me to uh, uh, Willow Creek because it's totally changed my life. Totally changed my life. A great story. Stories around us all the time. Now, this is the classroom part here. You just listen to that testimony. What strikes you about what happened in that relationship? Anybody, just shout it out. It took a long time. It took time. What else? Simpleness of approach. It was natural. You're at a, your kids' soccer field games, right? You're not going down the street knocking door to door and you know, sharing some spiritual track, which is a natural part of what they were doing. What else? It's huge, isn't it? The prompting of God and being sensitive, being willing to receive it. Good. God working behind the scenes. You're just doing the simple things he asks you to. His commitment. His commitment to... Stay true to that relationship some, right? Good. The fact that he rejected it at first. <laughs> yeah. He rejected it first, and I, 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 I think they probably soft-sold it a little bit on the testimony. It's like, no, I have no interest in church or God or anything. Just keep it away from the soccer field. We're good with this relationship. Not. And what happens to us a lot of time when that happens, we sort of cringe and go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> but God was working. I thought that was interesting with what he said because I knew that kind of response meant something was going on. What else? Anything? The high-risk approach. The high-risk approach to be direct with him. Yeah. Yeah, and that's always hard. That's going back to listen to the Spirit's promptings, you know. Is, is there empathy, compassion needed here? Or sometimes the direct shot between the eyes. This is what's going on in your life, friend. It shows you how to grow through the Spirit. Shows you how to grow spiritually in it. Yep. And following through with it in life. Good. That's right. Anything else that you just pull from that testimony. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the uh, the multiplication impact, right? Yeah. That's cool. Anyone else? One more thing. Just strikes you from it. Yeah. Friends, I've been there. I mean, if you've got kids and it's like, you know, I'm just going to show up, watch my kid cheer it on. Do I really need to relate to these people that are on the sidelines, do some other things, get to know the coach, go out and help? But uh, 
taking the step out of the comfort zone. And that's why we listed um, just really clearly those three things. Look, listen, and leave. But um, I want to point us to this scripture. In Matthew 5, 13, the words of Jesus. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. If Jesus was here today hearing your response, he would come back and say some of those similar kind of words to us this morning. Now, salt in that day, what did they use salt for? Well, they didn't have electricity and refrigerators, so salt was used as a preservative for food. And it wasn't like the bag of salt you get today or the salt we throw down. I guess there's not that much ice sometimes, but there was snow here recently. So, you know, you throw down salt. It's not a pure bag of salt. It was salt particles intermixed with dirt particles. And so if the salt loses its saltiness, it was referring to the the part that's actually the salt. If it gets watered and dissipates, what do you have left? You just have a bunch of dirt. So if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again, right? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown underfoot and trampled. There's a couple things with the whole salt analogy that tie back into that video. Two words. Two more P words. Proximity and potency. Proximity and potency. If we are going to see people changed and come into a dynamic relationship with the resurrected Jesus, there has to be a proximity issue that we deal with. The comfort zone to the zone of the unknown. All right? And that's a choice that we make. So is the salt that you are made of up against what needs to be preserved or needs to be changed? Just a straight-on question. The proximity question. And then there's the potency question. How potent are you when you're in that proximity? I'm not talking about being the Jesus freak person with the Bible thumping and the verses flying and all that kind of... I'm just talking the love of Jesus does it flow through your life. Even if your life is a mess right now and things aren't going your way, there should be a peace, a brokenness in your heart to love people. And we heard about that at the end of the year. So salt has to have proximity and it has to have potency. And then the whole aspect of the light, I'm going to come back to that when we close in a little bit, that there needs to be a dimension of your light that is attractive and that shines people forth. But if we were to think about this whole idea of just walking across the room, leaving our comfort zone, our circle of comfort, to go to a zone of the unknown. Who is the first, foremost example of somebody walking across the room? It's Jesus Christ, is it not? This verse in Romans says this, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You talk about a comfy zone place to be. Angels, cherubim, seraphim, see the right hand of the Father, all's going good, great. Yeah, we started this world, he created this world, it's gone amok. He could have done what you know he did back in Noah's day. You know, it was a beautiful rainbow this week. You want to see the rainbow we had? And so the rainbow is symbolizing, you know, what God did back then when he destroyed the world and just saved Noah and his family. God could have done that. He says, well, Let's just do it again, let's wipe them out and start over. He chose not. He chose to leave his circle of comfort 
and walk across the universe into this circle, into this zone of the unknown of our life, and he gave his life for us so that we could have life. It was a strategic decision that was made in the governing body of the Godhead that Christ would be sent. And so he goes before us as the foremost example. That's why in Philippians 2, 5, it says this, Have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human being. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So that was the trajectory of God's son's life. And he is our model. But you look at the life of Jesus when he was on earth. I am so thankful that he didn't come with a scripted approach to people. Could you imagine Jesus with a cookie cutter approach and how boring the scriptures would be? Every person he went at with a little bit of different angle, a little bit of sensitivity. He got proximity going. He had his potency going. And he saw lives changed around him. One of those is the example, right, of the woman at the well. Here's the woman at the well. Jesus is with his 12, right? And so he's with his 12 in this circle of comfort. And they want to get some food. So he sends them in or they decide to go in. They go in together as a group, right? But Jesus, knowing most likely what was happening, he chose to stay there for the woman who had been married and divorced five times and was now living with someone who wasn't his own, came out to do the dipping of the water for herself. herself. He said that he would mind having a drink. And so you find this scripture. Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty again. Won't ever have to come back to this well again. What if, what if Jesus had gone with the rest of the group? Well, I'll hang along, I'll go with you in there too. But something was going on, and he knew, and he stepped outside of his circle of comfort. Now, this is what I want you to think about. We know the story, many of us do, that she believed in Jesus as the Messiah, went back into town, told everybody. They came out, oh, my goodness, this is the Messiah, right? Let's go down the road a generation or two or three. What do you think two or three generations down the road? Some people who are Christ followers, they were sitting around in a house and they said, you know, man, this is our, the salvation we have through Christ is so great. When did that come about in our family tree? And they would have what? Gone back to the next generation and the next, all the way back to the woman at the well who was in a very broken, destitute place of life. And they would say, wasn't that incredible that Jesus himself met her there at the well? You see, I believe decisions you and I make even this very week concerning stepping outside of our circle of comfort to go to the zone of the unknown and taking steps into people's lives will change the trajectory, not only that person, but like we saw, that will change generations to come. We were in worship this morning and and we got into that Exalt You song, which, man, that's an old song. I remember singing that when I was in uh, college ministry and we'd be worshiping the Lord. 
And uh, I was saying, Lord, it's just so good to be able to praise you and exalt you in a humble moment together as a church family. And I knew what I was going to be speaking on and sharing with you on, and I was thinking, oh, God, we, we just need to bring more people to a place of worshiping and exalting you. But then I was also mindful of some of the challenges with our body and the struggles that are going on and other things that are just distracting and, and why even a whole series on evangelism might be a little bit like, oh, do we really need to go there as a church? And I thought, you know, the adversary doesn't want us to go here. He does not want this conversation this morning. Because if it gets on our radar that there's promptings of the Holy Spirit that are coming to you daily to reach out and touch somebody's life and be engaged with them, if he can stifle that, if he can say, you just got go and gather and sing your nice little songs in your nice little church and get on with your nice little day and have a nice little lunch and go into your nice little work world in the morning, if he can just get us consumed in that self-centeredness, if you will, and not be willing to take the steps across the room or across the soccer field, then he's won the victory and he's good to go for another season with us at the awakening. But if the awakening church truly comes awakened to the fullness of Christ's life and awakened to his mission that every day we are called out of our comfort zones to walk into other people's lives, then, Katie, hold the bar, it's going to be problems around here. It's going to be problems even amongst us as people. It's going to be problems with I don't know what's down the road. Why? Because the adversary does not want us as a body of people moving forward to make impact in people's lives in this valley. And so you go ahead and exalt him, Carrie. Everybody at the wing, just exalt him. Just do not step out of your circle of comfort. And do not walk into the zone of the unknown. Because those people are mine kind of voice that I hear. Do you hear that voice? Because I tell you what, any room you walk into, and I I can have my gregarious moments, and I can be seen as an extrovert sometimes, but I have a strong introvert side to me as well. I like to study, let me read, let me get about my day, right? It has nothing to do with personality, because God uses each of our personalities in different ways. It has to do with the obedience to the commandment that Jesus gave to that group of disciples he left behind, which was what? Go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, and lo, I'm going to send my power of my spirit to be with you. And so we have to endear ourselves to that which the Spirit is endeared to. And when we do, a dynamic connection starts to work in our Christian life that's far more glorious than just becoming a better do-gooder in life. You engage in mission, awaken to the mission of what he's doing around you, maybe not going overseas, but maybe just going across the street, right? In a timely moment. You don't even have to share words. Just give encouragement. You know, you know, give an, a, a, a handout of some food item or something just to bless somebody with. We have to know this. We are in a spiritual battle as a church. And the adversary does not want us to take this lifestyle evangelism serious. So that was the example of Jesus and many others. It goes back to when Jesus rose from the dead in these simple words. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit.
plan of the God of the universe was to leave the comfort levels of his heaven and to walk across that universe into our world. He gave his life for us. Through his death and his resurrection, we have not only the forgiveness of sins, not only the hope of a relationship with him in this life, but we have the hope of eternity. As the Father has sent me, so I now send you. And with that, he breathed on them the breath of the Holy Spirit. So look. Open your eyes this week. Look. Be willing to enter into the zone of the unknown where somebody's standing. Standing awkwardly, running away indifferently. And then listen. Listen for the still, small voice, the tapping on the shoulder, the Holy Spirit over there. Your personality is just right for that person there. Your life experience can be shared with them because they're going through similar things. Listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and then leave. Step out of your comfort zone. Simply put, just walk. Just walk. One foot in front of the other. I close with this. A couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, you might have heard the story of the family that was flying back uh, from the Keys, I believe, in Florida. And they were to land in Illinois. But their plane went down in Kentucky. Their plane crashed. Mom, dad, two daughters, and a cousin. Somebody read that? The seven-year-old girl miraculously survived this crash. She gets out of the airplane hanging upside down and somehow walks close to a mile through thick, rough terrain, briars, trees, in Florida type of clothes. She was just walking. She didn't know. She thought her parents were dead, and they were. But she gets out of this plane, and she starts walking. And what does she walk towards? The only thing she sees, she sees a light off in the distance. And she walks through that terrain. She comes up to the door, and she knocks on the door. And this older gentleman, if you heard about the story, opens the door and finds this bruised, bleeding seven-year-old who simply says, my parents are dead. We had a plane crash. Now, there is no one in their right mind here who would close the door on that situation. He brings the girl in, tries to get a little bit bearing stories, calls 911, and everything's set in motion. The ambulances come, those kinds of things. But even when the ambulance comes, she has only known this gentleman for a matter of a few minutes. And she's adamant that he goes with her in the ambulance. They didn't allow that to happen because of protocol, but that's all that she had at that moment that was safe that she knew was this gentleman who had received her. 
We don't like to use the word lost today, but Jesus used the word lost. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Some people know that they are lost, and they've had a life of brokenness and plane wreck. And they go looking for help. Others don't know that. But if that gentleman had known through radio or whatever that a plane had gone down within a mile of him, he would have been out the door tracking that down, seeking to help. There's a sense of urgency in those kinds of situations, isn't there? Life and death hangs in the balance. They hoped that her parents maybe had fallen asleep. She thought maybe they were, but they got there and found out that everybody else in the plane was dead. She was a lost girl and was found in that moment, and by God's blessing, Hopefully protection over her life. They were a part of a church. That church community come around them. Thank you, God, for protecting her life. But I think about that as the sense of urgency when we come to helping people. We are the salt of the world, but we are also a light, a shining light on a hill. And we need to be those individuals that we're able to receive lostness into our life. May we as a church become fully alive to Christ, but also fully alive to his mission, the mission to seek and to save the lost, the one who gave up his rights of heaven, was made in human image, died on a cross, was raised from the grave, sent his spirit back into us. May we be about the kingdom's work, which is bringing and introducing people to the resurrected Jesus, the single greatest gift we can ever give anyone. Let's pray. Father, in these moments, I pray that you would seal the initial beginning of us on this journey as a body, that we would open our hearts and our lives to you, to be used by you as your instruments in this world. Jesus, each one of us in this room could recollect when somebody engaged us Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was somebody speaking during a church service. Whatever it been, Lord, we can point back to your spirit using somebody in our life to bring, you, bring us to you. And Lord, even in this morning, as we're mindful of being able to declare our joy and the happiness that we have and how you've redeemed us, I'm mindful that there's individuals maybe in this very room who find it awkward even to be here. Part of that awkwardness is because they know where they stand and they stand outside a relationship with you. I pray, God, if there's anyone in this room who's never crossed that line of faith, of not only being introduced to you, Jesus, but coming into relationship to you by turning from the indifference or the sin of their life and turning towards you and embracing you by faith, that they would do so even this very day. Lord, we love you. We are so grateful for the redemption you brought in our life for the day that we had of that salvation and the many days ahead of us into eternity. And Lord, we are grateful that we have good news to share. May you empower us as a church. We come against the enemy. May we boldly walk out of our circles of comfort into the zone of the unknown. May we look, may we listen, and may we leave for encounter. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Worship team is going to lead us with a strong song about our redemption. Oh, happy day. The ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as your connection cards. Let's worship him in these moments. We're finished. <laughs>